Hello and welcome to episode 180 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and joining me on today's episode is the film director Felida Lloyd. I'm absolutely thrilled that she joins me because we get to sit down and talk all about her brand new film herself. It's an incredible film from start to finish and already one of my films of the year. But not only that, she's responsible for directing Mamma Mia, easily one of the best musicals out there, and The Iron Lady. So yep, she's responsible for directing Meryl Streep to that Oscar victory. So it's going to be a great interview and that's going to be coming up in just a couple of moments time. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I always like to use the intro to touch base and talk about my last episode. I was joined by the amazing Jeffrey Reddick. We got to sit down and talk all about Final Destination, horror and so much more and the response was absolutely amazing. So as always, thanks for everyone who took the time to listen and I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as me. But as I said, today it's all about Felida Lloyd. This is a great interview and I'm so glad to be getting more female film directors, producers and actors on the show. And that's what I'm going to be doing this year, really focusing on that. So let's get things going with me and Felida talking all things film. Thank you for taking the time to join me on the Mark and Me podcast today. That's fine. Thanks for asking me. What I wanted to do today for the listeners that may be tuning in for the first time to discover your work is take it back to the start. So when you were growing up, can you remember those first maybe films or actors or directors that you loved that made you fall in love with cinema? Um, yeah, a couple of things. I mean, I weirdly, because he died, um, he died very recently but one of the very first films I remember being taken to was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner with Sidney Poitier yeah um and just being kind of particularly I mean it's a it's a rather actually quite static sort of movie but there's something about those great um charismatic movie performances of um Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn and him all in a room that just kind of, and the whole, I was born in the middle of nowhere um, in a village in Somerset. And I didn't have a particularly diverse community around me and suddenly being plunged into this kind of um, story of of racism and um, just the politics of it. I think I was probably nine. I mean, I'd, I'd seen, you know, been taken to the great, lots of great kind of movie musicals when I was small. I think when I was six or seven, I saw in the big screen in Bristol, you know, Sound of Music, Mary Poppins, big blockbusters, big Hollywood blockbusters. Um, and then I went, I went, I was sent away to school when I was 11 from home. and. Okay. Um, every Sunday night, we used to have projected movies, um, black and white, sort of things that used to reduce everybody to tears, actually. A lot of it probably quite unsuitable. We used to watch things like All Quiet on the Western Front, Battleship Potemkin, um, and just, yeah, was was really addicted to, to film at that point, that time. And were your family supportive in the way that you wanted to go down that route? I mean, sometimes it's a difficult one because, you know, it it takes a lot to get into the film industry and make a name for yourself. And did they want you to kind of have a backup plan or was they were they very, you know, behind you all the way? No, I mean, they were 
both supportive but terrified when I said I wanted to be an actor when I was um, about 12. And they sort of let it ride for a while, thinking, well, that should get over that one. But then when I was, you know, 16, 17, saying, I'm actually going to go to drama school. I don't want to go to college. Um, my mother freaked out <laughs> in, a very low, in a very English, understated way. Yeah. And sort of said, do you think it would be worth you getting a degree because then you'll have something to fall back yeah, on. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, whatever. And she sort of said, you know, then if you're still hell bent on it, you can go and do a postgraduate, whatever degree uh, course drama school. Yeah. So I thought, okay, whatever. And went off and read theater at university, read drama. And while I was there, I did come to my senses and think, I actually want to be on the other side of the footlights. Yeah. I want to be on the directing side. Um, but at that point, I wasn't sure about theatre or film. It was very hard to get into either of them, um, you know, as a rookie straight from college. So I actually went and worked for the BBC in drama as a runner. And that's how I sort of, I guess, grasped the very basic world of, of, you know, film and television. Um, yeah. But I was always skiving off and doing but, fringe pub theatre while I was at the BBC as well. And with that experience and knowledge and getting to work around people all day, every day, did you find it quite challenging to then become a director and producer in a world where for so long it was very male-led? Do you know, at the beginning... Um, I don't think I noticed. Um, no. I think I was also in the theatre, a very lucky beneficiary of a period at the in the middle, late middle 80s, late 80s, where the Arts Council were absolutely insisting that men who ran theatres, and it was men who ran yeah. theatres, looked to try and see if they could have a woman on their staff as an assistant, associate, whatever. And I think I was the lucky beneficiary of positive discrimination at that time. But I wasn't in film at that moment. And it no. wasn't really till I stepped out on the, the James Bond studio at Pinewood on Mamma Mia and saw probably 300 men and thought, oh, my God, um, this is this is the and it sounds crazy because I was in the middle of my career, but I suddenly thought, my God, this, I am literally stepping onto Mars now for the first time and realized it was a completely male dominated world. It is good, isn't it? I mean, Mamma Mia was 2008. And yeah. the fact that we are now seeing a huge shift and I'm seeing a lot more up and coming female directors making a name for themselves. And it is it is nice to see that it has transitioned because it was it was too male led. And I think it's really nice now to see more opportunities available. And it doesn't matter what sex people are. People are taking it on the work. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's hard, but it's it's um, it's a really interesting sign that women because women have always been able to. Well, not en masse, but they've always been women in evidence in the kind of indie world it's the same in theater yeah the the, the not-for-profit that state subsidized or the indie movie world you see women directors but it's the first time now 
in the movie world that you're seeing women directing big budget films. Um, and I think that is a real sign of change. And with your work previously, obviously Mamma Mia and The Iron Lady, huge films, absolutely incredible casts, Oscar winning performances. With then going into herself, did you feel pressure to kind of keep up that kind of level of expectation from the audience, knowing of your previous involvement in such incredible British films that have really left a land, you know, let's be honest, they've, they've created history in these films. They look back on 50 years of these as masterpieces. Um, you know, I really wanted to work on a low budget film and it sounds crazy. Most people start with low budget and then they're getting, trying to get bigger and bigger budgets. But I was trying to, because I'd had such a weird start with Mamma Mia, which was comparatively, a, you know, a big budget. I was trying to work, I was trying to work in a more modest way. And I think it was to do with the work I was doing in the theatre, which was very collaborative team work, everyone mucks in. And I wanted to do something that made, brought the two worlds a bit more closely together. So make a movie without stars. Um, and I, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, the expectations. I was just thinking about wanting to make something good and wanting to work with friends, actually. Yeah. Um, and Claire and Harriet Walter and I were all working together in the theatre. And that's how we ended up working on this movie. And getting to work with Claire Dunn, I mean, I think she's one of the most up and coming actresses out there. Her work is outstanding. Her ability is amazing. And to see just now her performance in this film, let alone what's ahead of her, it's incredible. I think she's definitely one to watch, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, she's astonishing um, that she's such a natural on camera. And we didn't really know that. I mean, I'd done a little bit of, we put one of our plays that we were doing on screen, but it wasn't, we weren't shooting on film. We weren't, you know, it was a very different environment. And so to see her, you know, so, so in her element on camera, aside from the fact she'd written the thing, and the fact that it wasn't, it had never been a kind of vanity project for her. She, when she wrote it, she wasn't even thinking of playing Sandra. She was thinking that she was going to be a small role, just a supportive, supporting part, and that it would need a star to get the film financed, um, which is how I got involved. Because I was thinking, oh, sod this, you know, let's, if I do get involved, yeah. maybe I can make that a kind of condition that she does play the lead. And I also, I tried to get the budget brought down so that we didn't have to have, you know, a mega star playing the other, playing the Harriet Walter. Yeah. Role, um, which then if you do that, then you kind of totally unbalance the whole thing anyway, because it was meant to be about Sandra, this woman. Um, so yeah, it's been a really incredible experience, the whole thing. And working in Ireland, you know, very lovely, collaborative atmosphere, um, great producers, Sharon Horgan and Ed Guiney, who hadn't, they hadn't worked together before, um, but just 
very cool people who really um, gave a lot, us a lot of support. And with the storyline, I won't go into it too much because I don't want to spoil it for people. I like the fact that people can go in there and not have any kind of, um, you know, anything about the plot given away. But when you're tackling the subject of an abusive husband and these broken housing systems and stuff, reading that story that Claire had come up with, it must have been quite upsetting because so many people can relate to this story. So many people have been there. But the way that you're you use this film to portray just how far a mother would go for the love of their children and how much power they have as a mother. I think you've done brilliantly, but it must be really tough as a subject to manage to do properly with the respect it deserves. I think that one of the things was that Claire, even before she'd shown me the script, she'd done a massive amount of research. Yeah. And one of the keynotes was that she was talking to a woman in women's aid in Ireland and telling her she was trying to write this story. And the woman said, can I just say one thing to you? Do not make this central character a victim because women in this situation are not victims. They may be victims of violence, but they, yeah. aren't, they, they, are, they have the most amazing amount of courage to stay and then even greater courage to go. So think about that in terms of creating a character who has real agency, purpose, drive. Um, and that in some way it's her kind of vision for what's possible, thinking her way beyond the system, beyond the broken system um, that, that attracts these other people to come around her and, and help her. Um, and... But, but yes, shooting it, and not least because there were two children at the centre of it. Yeah. And how we navigated, you know, and, and one of the sort of threads of the story was the impact, not so much of the violence um, on the children, but the impact of the aftermath of being torn between two parents who are fundamentally at war and one and, and one who clearly had witnessed violence between their parents. And so it was a very harrowing and subtle kind of, you know, how you, uh, yeah, just navigating that with kids yeah. was um, challenging. With the kind of contrast of going from something like Mamma Mia to the Iron Lady to now herself, Obviously, the productions are different, the casting is different, the scale of the projects are different. Where do you want to go next? Are you looking now to try and do something bigger or are you liking the fact of the more kind of smaller feel, the, the homegrown, independent sort of feature? I, I am, actually. Yeah. Um, not because I've ever felt anything but really supported by, you know, producers or you know, even on those big, those big films, um, we managed to keep a kind of intimacy to an extent, but I do still feel this is where I feel most comfortable. Yeah. And I, I'd like to do another, you know, it doesn't have to be necessarily as low budget as this, but I, I think this does definitely suit me more. 
Do you feel less pressure as well that there isn't a big studio completely involved the whole way through? Do you feel like you've got more control in yourself and your work? Um, you know, there's pressure whether there's no money or there's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but as I say, even when we did, and of course it, it might be because Mamma Mia was something that we knew really well before we took it to the studio. Yeah. So it gave us a kind of particular agency because when perhaps the studio might suggest, you know, a, a kind of plot line change or a script thing or whatever, you were kind of able to really draw on your experience of going, look, we've shown this to 60 million people and we kind of know how this plot, there's a machine that this is works. And therefore it's thanks for the idea, but that's actually not going to work. It's a bit like saying who'd done it before you get to the end of a movie or whatever it might be. Yeah, definitely. So it was a slightly unusual situation. So I didn't feel, I felt actually really very supported by the studio um, rather than having to battle them. But that I think was partly given that I was a total rookie that was partly because we we kind of knew how the little machine that was Mamma Mia worked with people, how people responded to it, not just in the UK, but everywhere in the world where we'd been. Um, but I still think, yeah, you do have, there's a lovely feeling on a lower budget film when you know that the whole crew are invested, you know, that there's a, there's a relationship between everybody on the set in terms of their ideas and opinions. And it's a more for more of a family atmosphere and it's more like theater in that. No, way. That's beautiful. And my, my final question for you today, what I normally do on the podcast to try and make it as original as I can, and it is putting you on the spot. Are you going to ask me to sing? No, don't worry about that. Not a problem, but it is to do with music. Um, I like the outro music and the song that's played at the very end of the podcast to be chosen by the guest. Now, it can be any song in the entire world that means something to you. Now, it's never easy because obviously there's so much music to choose from. But is there a song when I ask you the question that would make a perfect outro song for this interview once it's finished and all edited and mixed up that you think is the perfect song for this? Um, do you mean to, to round off this theme or just something I think... Just this be... interview that means a lot to you personally. So I've had people like Anthony Hopkins, Mads Mickelson, all those people on this podcast, and each of them chooses a song that means a lot to them personally. Yeah, I think you should play um, Adrian Warren singing River Deep, Mountain High. Lovely. Um, I like that you knew that straight away. Most people want a couple of minutes to think about it or get it from three down to one, but you knew it straight away. I, I think there's just, I'll just say it, that there's a real resonance between Tina Turner's journey and you know I did this musical, Yeah. directed this musical, and Tina's story and Sandra's story have real, you know, overlaps in terms of them both surviving, being incredible survivors of domestic violence. And this song, yeah, from the show, from Tina's life, it's a bit of a kick-ass kind of survival song. Well, I love the reason behind it. It fits very well with today's theme, the episode, and everything else. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and good luck with the rest of the press and I hope it all goes well for the release of herself. Thanks, Mark. So there it is. There's my interview with me and the director, Felida Lloyd. 
As you heard on today's interview, we got to sit down and talk all about the brand new film, Herself. It's available right now to buy on DVD and Blu-ray. I've seen the movie and I absolutely loved it. I lent it to my mum on Blu-ray at the weekend and she adored it. So honestly, I think it's got something for everyone. It's not an easy watch, it's emotional, but it's absolutely brilliant from start to finish. If you go and check the film out, please let me know on social media what you think. I love it when people discover new albums or films because of the podcast, and it's the biggest compliment that I can get. I want to say a massive thank you for Felida for coming on the show. It was an absolute honour to have you on, and hopefully you'll come back on again in the near future. If you're new to Mark and Me, please jump on markandme.com. All the links are on there for Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And all I ask in return of listening to this podcast, which is completely free, is to share it on your social media. Maybe hit the retweet button on Twitter, share it on Facebook or put it on your Instagram stories. You will have no idea how much reach that gets for me and can get to a whole new audience. And that's something money can't do. I really appreciate it. And I love seeing more and more listeners each week doing that for me. So thank you so much. If you want to support the podcast, I do have a Patreon account. On there, you can subscribe for as little as £1 a month. You're getting a guarantee of two episodes every single week for that. You're also getting the opportunity to win some incredible prizes from Vice Press News. Not only that, you're getting some Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts. And I've just got a couple more deals signed over the line. So I'm not going to lie to you, there's going to be some incredible prizes starting next month. You'll be blown away. And this is all to say thanks for supporting the podcast, for helping me do what I absolutely love. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. It is really manic at the moment, and I'm going to be giving you episodes every two or three days. But I'm loving what I do, and I'm loving the response. So thanks again for listening. Until next time, take care of yourself, and I'll speak to you all very soon. When I was a little girl, I had a rag doll. Just the way I love that rag doll All in all, my love is green i
Mountain high.